You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Scripture for today is John 6, 1 through 24. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the shore of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for just each one to have a bite. Another another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, He said to his disciple, gather up the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who came to end of the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew him to a mountain by himself. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they rowed about about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. And he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the shore realized that only one boat had been there, and Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread, and after the Lord had given thanks, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for reading the Word of God. We have a big chapter in front of us today, John chapter 6. Notice that this chapter begins with, with after this, and chapter 7 also begins with after this. This is a standalone chapter. And there's a lot going on in this chapter. Paul has already read a couple miracles that we just witnessed. And 
We have begun this series, this I Am series, through the book of John, where Jesus reveals his true character of who he is. As we talked about last week as we opened this up, there are a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas about Jesus. You could say there's different versions of Jesus out there. But the only way to really know the true version of Jesus, who, who actually was this man, Jesus Christ, is to listen to what he says himself in the word of God. So please, if you're not already there in John chapter 6, go ahead and turn with me this morning. And as we've started this narrative in John chapter 6, we're going to continue on. And there is one resounding theme that John 6 is centered on. And it's this idea of belief. This is a chapter about belief. John told us why he wrote this entire gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 31, Jesus said that, uh, or, you know, John said, excuse me, I lost my place. Um, yeah, John 20, 31. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that believing you may find life in his name. There's the whole purpose of the book of John. And there's a lot of people who follow Jesus. They seek after Jesus, just like we saw these people get in the boats, go to the other side of Capernaum. They are looking to follow Jesus. But as, what, as Jesus is going to outline here in the following verses, they are not seeking Jesus himself. They do not believe Jesus. They are actually seeking the wrong version of Jesus other than who he really is. And if I was to ask you, can there be people out there who are followers of Jesus Christ who aren't true believers? I think most of the people in this room would say, well, yeah, there are people who, who claim to be Christians. They claim to follow Christ, but they actually don't know Jesus Christ. We would all probably say yes to that. But if I was to ask you, can there be believers in Jesus who are seeking Jesus for the wrong reason and hence have a very shallow, surface-level version of faith? Again, I think most of us would say, well, yes, yes, sure, there, there can be people like that. But here's the problem with that second scenario. In John chapter 6, the passage that we're going to see today, there actually is no space for that person. That second option doesn't really exist in this chapter. In John chapter 6 is the premier passage of Scripture on true belief versus unbelief from the words of Jesus himself. So this is an incredibly important personal question that we all have to answer. Because if we are seeking Jesus for the wrong reason, the point that Jesus is making in this text is, you don't believe me. You're seeking and you're following a version of me that you want, but you don't know me. So this is a very, very important passage. I hope I have your attention. We're going to pick this up in verse 25, right where we left off. And I want you to follow along with me. And I want you to look for the heart behind this unbelief. We have people seeking Jesus 
for the wrong reason. They're seeking the wrong Jesus. And there's a heart motivation that these people have. So let's keep reading from verse 25 down to the end of the chapter. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Sounds like a good question, right? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent him draws, sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It was written in the prophets, and they will be all taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We're going to stop right there. And we're going to keep rolling through this text. But we are looking at Jesus today. Here's the next I am statement. The bread of life. And I want you to personalize this with the three different types of seekers that we see in this passage. And I want you to analyze your own heart this morning. Are you aware of what version of Jesus you are seeking? Here's the first one. It's found in verse 26. 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Number one, the wrong Jesus that people seek after is, are you looking for earthly blessing Jesus? This is probably the most common version of Jesus that people are on the hunt for. But here's the interesting thing about this. I I dare say ironic thing. What just happened before Jesus had this conversation on the other side of the lake? What just happened at the beginning of John chapter 6, the day before? Well, Jesus fed the 5,000, right? He took the little boy's lunch. He multiplied it into a feast. And how incredible is that? Now, Jesus had a crowd now. They had just ate their full yesterday, and now they want more. I would say that's pretty telling about human nature, right? You know, you get this incredible gift, but it's never enough just to enjoy that once-in-a-lifetime experience. Now I instantly crave more, and you want that high again. Jesus sees right through it. And he doesn't care about the fame. He came to be the savior of the world. So instead of catering to the people and their whims, which he could have done all day, he could have fed people who were hungry every single day that he was alive. But Jesus didn't come for that. We are seeing something else about Jesus. He didn't simply come to feed hungry people. That's a good idea. But he came to make people's daily life more satisfying. Not just their daily life, but their eternity. He had a far greater goal. So he cuts to the heart and he says, let's go past what you were doing and talk about your motivation. Where is your heart at? And this is something that is so true about Jesus Christ in the Gospels. He always cares about your heart. He cares about your heart more than anything else. So you see that answer that Jesus gave in verse 26. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, temporal, earthly blessings, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, there are so many Bible teachers who will still cater to people with this false version of Jesus. And of course, they're not going to tell you they're a health and wealth prosperity teacher. They're never going to say that. But if you strip it down to what they're actually saying, their message is, come to Jesus and you will have a better life. Come to Jesus in your life. All your problems are going to go away. I saw a tweet from a very famous pastor just this week. And I'm not going to actually tell you his name because if I told you his name, you would just like, get all in on the name and like, oh, David's talking about this guy. I want to instead just give you his quote, let the quote speak for itself, so you can identify how to recognize this, okay? But here's what he said. There there was no other context about this. This was literally like the main point of his sermon. So this was his his tweetable takeaway. Um, Following Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. Sounds great, doesn't it? Now, following Jesus will most definitely make you better at life. 
I agree with that, of course. Will following Jesus, for the most part, make your life better? Well, now we're going into the, the definition of what do you mean by better? Um, does it mean that you will have an anchor uh, to hold you through the tough times, through the sunshine and the rain, through the fire? Yeah, that's a lot better for sure. But if better means I'm not going to have stress and anxiety anymore, better means like I'm going to be comfortable with my, with my cost of living, I'm going to get everything I want, I'm going to have that nice car, I don't think that's what we see in the Gospels, right? That quote is incomplete, and that quote sends the wrong message. Your life this side of eternity on this planet Earth is in a fallen world. The prince of the power of this air, the enemy who hates you because you're made in the image of God, does not want your life to go well. And just because you turn to Jesus and go to church on Sunday does not make your life and all the problems in that life simply vanish away. That's not what Jesus came here for. Do you see that in verses 26 and verses 27? You see that in his statement. Now, I know there's not a lot of things in life that everyone agrees on, right? There's, there's just not. We live in a world um, where there's a, lot of, there's a lot of negativity. I mean, Norm MacDonald's gone. You know, we, we all used to love him. We, 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 don't, we can't even all agree on Chick-fil-A. Like, there's very, very few things. There's hate surrounding everything that we all agree on. But I think one thing that we all can probably agree on is dishonest advertisements in our in our dislike for those things, right? Are you with me? Like, you can have, you can have a, have a advertisement on TV, and this commercial, it can be on some overpriced cleaning item for your home, like a Swiffer picker-upper, and, and it can just paint this picture that if you buy this, oh, you're gonna have this perfectly clean house at all times, and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a breeze. It's gonna be so easy to save you so much, so much time. Or you can have a commercial about like buy this workout program, and you'll you'll be faster overnight. You know, just just you know, spend this twenty nine ninety nine four four installments, and you're good. Those are the kind of advertisements we see a lot of times. But what is missing in those commercials every single time is you still have to put in the work, right? And I don't care if you have the best cleaning product on earth. If you have a dog or you have a cat or you have kids in your home, you're probably not going to always have a clean house, right? And even if you've got that amazing workout equipment, you still have to wake up early and put in the work. Otherwise, it's going to sit in your garage collecting dust and you're still going to be just as overweight, right? So advertisements, these commercials they paint a false picture. There are false teachers, similarly, who peddle this false idea of Jesus, and they spoon-feed this wrong version that does not exist in real life. The idea is, come to Jesus, and your problems are going away. And there's so many people who chase this version of Jesus. The crowd seeks the spiritual high, the exciting event, and there's nothing wrong with a spiritual mountain peak. That's great when that happens. But the problem is when that's what you seek. You want Jesus because Jesus is fun, in quote. 
You want the benefits of having an amazing program catered to your kids whenever it fits in your schedule. And I've had people tell me this, like, I want to go to church, yes, because I want my kids to go to a church, and I think it'll help my kids obey. (laughs) That's basically what they say, right? And I'm just sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I don't think you know what you're actually seeking, because that's not Jesus. Jesus is not someone you go to to make your life better and make your life easier. If that's the case, let me save you a bunch of time. You're either going to be very disappointed, you're going to either get angry at God, you may even end up hurting other people. Probably two or three of those things will happen if that's your heart behind what you're seeking for Jesus. So please, don't miss what Jesus says here in this text. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. And Jesus is the bread of life. He's not here for the here and now. This present life, it's always going to be rough. He came for your eternal soul. He came for something bigger than this life. He came so that you can find rest and peace and satisfaction in eternity in him. So don't follow Jesus, number one, for earthly blessings. Follow him because without him, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And eternity is hopeless without him. And here's the second wrong version of Jesus that people seek, that we see in this text. Number two, are you looking for scientific evidence? That version of Jesus. Now, I realize just by saying the word scientific evidence, um, the word science is like a buzzword right now, right? It's everywhere. Uh, It's very overused by people who have no idea what the scientific method even is. Uh, So a side note, I want to step away from the text just for a few minutes here, and I want to actually for a minute talk about scientific evidence. And we are going to a specific place There's a reason why I'm doing this. You're going to see. We will steer it back, and you'll totally understand why we're taking this detour. But I heard someone else say this week that this was pretty good, I thought. You may want to jot this one down. But if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes science. Ever thought about that? If you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes science. Just think about that one. Science, in many ways now, is just a cover for pushing a radical agenda. And we live in a world that says you can choose and you can change your gender freely. Um, we live in a society that says you decide, you, know, you decide what gender you are, but you can't decide what you want to put in your body. That's the new science that we have. We live in an upside-down world that throws out real science about sex and gender and antibodies and disregards whatever is inconvenient. So whether that's what the lockdowns are actually doing to people mentally or whether that's the biological and psychological differences between males and females, there are people who use science as a tool, science in quotes, as a tool to manipulate the masses for their narrative. And it doesn't get any more obvious than the science that classifies, and I'll I'll be honest, corrupt racist organizations like Planned Parenthood as, quote, women's health. 
That's the world where we're at. There's a man named Daryl B. Henderson who recently said that if abortion is health care, then slavery is job creation. There's another one to chew on, all right? But you can, you can cover up something with a sterilized name, but it doesn't change what is really going on. So we could spend a long time this morning going down this rabbit trail even further, but I want, you to, steer, I want to steer it back to this text now, and here's why I brought up science. Today, just like in Jesus' day, people demand evidence, but they chuck out the evidence when it doesn't fit their narrative. What's going on today may seem ridiculous to you, but it's human nature and it's the way things have always been. We live in this weird quasi-spiritual scientific age where people literally think, hey, I'm against the system. But at the same time, they agree with the message of Hollywood. They agree with the message of corporate media. They agree with all the talking points of the elite. And they have this vague notion of spirituality but they don't know the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. So their spirituality is vague and nebulous, and in the end, it's completely empty. They would think that they are progressive, that they are pushing the agenda forward, when in reality, they are missing all the evidence that is around them, and they are actually going backwards. That's going on today, It was also happening right here in this text in Jesus' day. Did you catch all of that? Did you hear this line in verse 30 of, we demand a sign? Did you catch that? If you're thinking in your head, where else have I heard that? Where else have I heard this, show us a sign, Jesus? And you're thinking, was it the Pharisees that said that? You would be correct. It was the spiritual leaders. It was the powers that be of that day. This is, the, this, is, this is their agenda that they were pushing. Give us a sign. Give us a sign, Jesus. What did Jesus, again, just do the day before? <laughs> what did he just do? He turned the three loaves and the two fish into an endless feast with 12 baskets left over, another beautiful sign of God's provision, his grace that abounds more and more, his provision is always overflowing. So as they are saying, Jesus, show us a sign that you're the bread bread of life. Over the other side of the lake, there's 12 baskets of bread going stale that Jesus just created out of thin air in the sign that he showed them. They have just dismissed and ignored the evidence that was right in front of their face. And they're listening to what their spiritual leaders, the leaders that be, said. The Pharisees, demand a sign, find a sign. There's like regurgitating that line verbatim when the evidence is right in front of them. It's far too easy to listen to the people who craft their own narrative to follow the experts like the Pharisees or what do the expert, I mean, for our illustration today, what do the expert scientists stay out there instead of actually looking at the facts and the data that is right in front of you? What's happening in the headlines in our physical world today is the same narrative that has always gone on. We want facts. We want scientific evidence. 
And we want an airtight version of Jesus who we can craft into our own factual box that is actually dictated by whatever the cultural trend of the day is. Do you see that out there? Are you observing that that's actually what's going on in our cultural climate? You have churches, you have leaders spiritually who actually are crafting their message around the world's narrative. They're trying to get that, get that version of Jesus to fit so we, so we don't offend the world. So let's get specific, all right? For all the Thomases out here, and if you, if you were here with us last week, you'll know exactly that's kind of like our inside joke. Like, he just wanted the facts. He's like, enough, just tell me straight. What is this? I need to know. Let's spell it out. Why are there so many people trying to make Jesus this, this loving, accepting person, no matter what your sexual desire may be, Jesus loves you and accepts you? Where did that come from? Why is that a new phenomenon within the church over the last five to ten years? Well, it's because we have a lot of people who want their version of Jesus to fit within the new normal, In quote. Why did the church start bending over backwards and compromising the authority of Scripture to accommodate the theory of evolution over 100 years ago? It's because of the same fallen tendency to be weak with the truth and to acclimate to wherever the wind is currently blowing from the pressure of the world. And you need to be aware of that. So if you're a fan of irony and you enjoy seeing how how people who literally are acting brain dead can be when it comes to falling in line with the sheep all around them, look no further than this passage. These people have the audacity here. This is mind-blowing to me. They have the audacity to use the example of God providing manna in the wilderness. Jesus, show us a sign just like that one. What? Do you realize what just happened? What did Jesus just do in John 6? Here they are. I, I, it's it's mind-blowing to me. Are you kidding me? The sign they use an example is bread coming from heaven. The same people who just witnessed Jesus feed the 5,000. If that sounds ridiculous to you, welcome to humanity, and it's still going on today, Okay. If you're paying attention, it's still going on today. So the application here is your faith has to be faith. You're not not looking for scientific evidence. You're looking to a person, Jesus Christ. Now, the Christian faith is rooted in history. The resurrection is verifiable. It's reliable. It's not a fable that you have to blindly believe. No one in this room today can prove it 100% without a shadow of a doubt. But the difference between our faith and every other faith, every other religion, is that for us, we talked about this last week, God entered into humanity. We didn't do good works to get to him. He knew we were hopeless and in sin. And God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus became a man fully God, fully man, and he entered into our world. And our faith is reasonable and it's reliable because at the end of the day, Jesus rose again, and that changed everything. That changed history, and we can observe that. But at the end of the day, there still comes the point where you have to have faith in Jesus. 
I'm thankful that Christianity actually answers all the big questions of life. But just like in John 6, in Jesus' day, there are people who want to believe in science as if the science doesn't change. I mean, seriously, can we just step back and realize that in the year of our Lord 2020, if we still are holding on to, I believe in science, and I don't see science changing, that we need to kind of like reassess that narrative, right? Have we seen science and data change a lot? I think we all have. Jesus doesn't change. Right here in John 6, just like today, you have people who want to fit God into their box. So don't look for a Jesus that fits your paradigm. That's the wrong Jesus. The Jesus that you need to follow is right here. Let's pick it back up in verses 33 through 35. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now notice these these followers still didn't know who they were talking to. Jesus Christ was sir to them. And that's very significant because Jesus Christ, as we're going to move forward here, did not fit their narrative. They wanted this true bread from heaven that comes down from heaven and gives life. They wanted that but they were missing him. They were missing Jesus. So number three is, are you looking for the fits your narrative Jesus? Is that who you're looking for? Now, there is some very crucial doctrine found in verses 37 through 40. And I mean, we could preach the whole sermon on each one of these verses, honestly. So we have a different focus here today. But these are glorious truths about the real Jesus straight from his mouth. mouth, And you can't twist it to make it more palatable, right? What does Jesus say? All who the Father give me will come to me. Can I get an amen for that one? This is a glorious truth of the Bible. God chooses who he will save. He draws them to himself. And if they are chosen they are not going to be able to run away from God. This is the doctrine of God's sovereign election, one of the most comforting truths in Scripture. And next we see, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So, wow, we just just saw that whoever the Father will give me, so God's election, in the very next breath, it's whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now it sounds like, we make the decision to follow Jesus, right? You have both of these things. Every time, you, every time you open up the word of God, you always see both. And I know some people are like, I don't like that. I want, I want one or the other. I, I, I don't want man to have free will. I want, I want God's sovereign election. Some people are like, I just want the God chooses and that has nothing to do with me. Well, I'm sorry, you can't have your cake and eat it too because they're both here, right? They are both here. And do we understand how this works out? No, we don't. And to me, again, that's actually a comforting thought. Because if I could wrap my mind around an all-knowing, infinite, sovereign God, and it makes perfect airtight sense to me, what does that say? 
well, it could have been manufactured by man. That sounds like a man-made faith to me. What man would ever invent this faith <laughs> that, that we can't even begin to comprehend the sovereignty of God and man's decision to follow him, how that all works together? We aren't going to make sense of that. It just shows you this is something that man didn't make. So we're, we're clearly in a place that is beyond our limited, finite human understanding. We're never going to put it all together. But we know this. God chooses who he desires to choose. And those who come to him, he will never cast out. Both those things are true at the same time. And then we have, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. God sent Jesus into this world, Jesus who was equal with the Father. Jesus submitted to the Father's will, and he voluntarily came. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. I need another amen on that one. Amen. amen. And here's the will of God, verse 39. No one who has been found by God will be lost. Every single one will be raised to life on the last day. And again, this is where it starts to sound familiar to our current day. What happened in the text here in John 6? How did the people respond to this truth? Started grumbling. I don't like that. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Hey, isn't this, don't we know where this guy came from anyway? I mean, we, we know his, his dad was the carpenter, Joseph, and we know his mom. She's still alive. And this isn't, what is this? This is, this is the response Jesus got. We can't fully connect all the dots and wrap our minds around our salvation. We have to have faith. We have to believe what he says is true. So why is Jesus saying all this? He is pointing out to them their heart. Their heart is being revealed by their response right now. And it didn't fit the narrative of what they thought the Messiah was supposed to look like or sound like. He is right in front of their face and they are missing him. Similarly, to this day, you can have people who understand the facts about Jesus. They know the facts of what happened on the cross. They have the mental capacity to understand that component, but their heart does not believe Jesus. And that's Jesus' point here. You cannot let your own preconceived version of who the Messiah is get in the way. These people missed Jesus' point. They, they took things literally um, that were not meant to be literal. They're getting weighed down in the minutia instead of just listening to Jesus' words and following the heart of what Jesus said. Worship team, you can come up here as we wrap this up, but I don't know where you're at in your heart. Only you know. You have to ask, honestly, and assess yourself, are there things that you don't like about the message of Jesus Christ? I know I said that in church, but I want you to ask yourself that. 
Are there elements to Jesus that you don't like? A lot of people who go to church every Sunday, that's where they're at. That's, that's, that's their relationship with Jesus. I'm going to go through these motions. I'm going to do this because, yeah, it'll bring good things to me. It'll, it'll bless me in my, in my pursuits in life. There are people who wanted to all make perfect sense. I have to have an answer for every single, every single scenario that I think of in my mind, and they take faith out of the equation. We saw last week, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when, and when we say that Jesus is exclusive, and then the world pushes back and says, well, God wouldn't, wouldn't make people feel bad because of their feelings and their desires. You have to make a decision. Do you believe Jesus? Or are you trying to craft Jesus into a narrative that fits what you want him to be. When people make their faith about solving temporal problems, feeding the poor, healing the sick, the church, believe me, the church should be involved in the community, and we do that with our life groups. We make, we make an effort to make an imprint and an impact on, on those who we come into contact with because we love people, because Jesus loves us. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of churches that that's where they begin and that's where they end. Let's help our society out. We're going to be a great influence in the community. Well, of course you can be a great influence in the community, but you know what? That person who's in the community isn't going to stay here forever. One day they're going to die, and what good is it if you made their life happy on October 3rd, 2021, for, for some brief moment, and if they don't know God, they are going to be separated from him for eternity. We are here to give people the bread of life, not just the bread that's going to fill them up one day on the Judean countryside, okay? It's way more than that. Jesus came to solve the problem of eternity, not your problems here on earth. So what are you going to do today? You have a decision to make right here. Are you going to listen to the words of Jesus? Or are you going to reinterpret his words? Far too many people reinterpret his words and they put words in his mouth that aren't there. As I said at the very beginning, we like to pretend that there's this option of, well, I follow Jesus. I'm just not really super close to him right now. And I just have the, you know, I just gotta, I gotta straighten out some of the desires of my heart. And when I get those things right, you know, then I'll, then I'll have this fulfilled Christian life that's, that's I'm supposed to have. I challenge you at the very beginning to look for that version of a person in here. Does Jesus give any space for that person? It's simply, do you believe or do you not believe? Jesus doesn't conform to your feelings. As a matter of fact, he says that your desires are deceitful and desperately wicked. So we have to align our feelings with truth. It's the reason Jesus came. 
It's because we were hopelessly lost, separated from God, with no chance of restoration on our own. But God sent his son Jesus to die for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So don't seek earthly blessing Jesus. Don't seek the scientific evidence version of Jesus. Don't seek the Jesus that fits your narrative. Turn to Jesus, the bread of life, and allow him to satisfy not only your physical desires and needs, but your eternal desires and your eternal need of salvation. He is the bread of life. He is the only one who will bring satisfaction and gratification for eternity. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? You are loved.